we present the news quiz with your host, Sandy Toxvik. Hello and welcome to the news quiz. We start with a notice from the Derby Traders property section, read by Harriet Cass. For sale, traditional semi-detached, three bedrooms, fitted kitchen diner, enclosed rear garden, ideal for growing family. <laughs> and our thanks to Mrs. Jamie Mitzel for sending that in. Now let's meet the teams. Will you welcome first, on my right, Mark Steele and Joe Brand. And opposite them on my left, Andy Hamilton and Stuart Lee. Who has finally admitted he favours the withdrawal method? Ah, well, a, a number of people. James Baker, who was the US Secretary of something or other, he's a prominent person who was very close to George Bush, and indeed the head of the British Army. And this, it's extraordinary that even the head of the British Army is going, no, look, this war's a disaster. This is the army. The whole reason it exists is to go to wars, and the heads of the army that for two or three years hasn't got a war, they go, come on, find us a war somewhere. And even they're going, oh, this is just too much, Tony. It'd be like if you went out for a night with Pete Doherty, and he said, oh, no, I'm going home, you're just too much, mate. I was impressed to read, uh, in relation to that, that the uh, Americans are now trying to assert their rights to keep enemy powers out of space, which means if they do move into space on the current record, you can expect a galactic civil war and the collapse of the infrastructure of space uh, within a very short time. I thought Blair handled it brilliantly, though, because you have your military chief of staff criticise you thoroughly, and then um, Blair just said, you know what, I agree with every word he said, which is actually a very disarming technique. All the reporters kind of didn't know where to go after that. Brilliant line, though. Yes, yes, we've said we shouldn't be there, and, uh, and I think Tony Blair should be publicly executed. Well, I agree with him. <laughs> <laughs> the original question was, in fact, about the Prime Minister, Tony Blair, who has finally changed his views on British strategy in Iraq. He stated that the British troops will leave Iraq within the next 10 to 16 months. Actually, he said he hated to withdraw prematurely. Does anybody else feel uncomfortable with that as an image? <laughs> Uh, so that's two points uh, to Mark and one to Andy. Joe, which petition was delivered post-haste this week? No idea. Excellent. <laughs> oh, is it to do the post office? <laughs> is it, was it four million signatures? No, it's nothing to do with it. All, no, done um... by the same, all by the same bloke. Yeah. It's about closing down rural post offices. Well, I look forward in, into the future. I think there's only going to be one post office for the whole country. And it's going to be miles away from anywhere. And you're going to have a ring up Ranulph Fines and go, could you mount an expedition to the post office? What I thought was rather sad and, and, and rather sort of um, defeatist was that they took the petition by hand to turn down the street. <laughs> <laughs> They, they, they obviously just didn't trust the post. But, uh... The largest ever domestic petition, which contained four million signatures and called on the government to save rural post offices, was delivered to Downing Street this week. This is a genuine quote. The post office minister, Jim Fitzpatrick, said he was exploring the potential of expanding government services, offering post office options. <laughs> what does it mean? I used to know him. Who? Jim Fitzpatrick? Yeah, he used to be a fireman. I used to know him. What's he doing in charge of the postal workers? Why don't I put him in charge? Oh, he used to be a decent bloke, and then he became a new Labour tosspot. So were you a fireman, Mark, or...? 
No, you don't have to be a fireman to know a fireman. <laughs> If you only know somebody, if you could be in the same job as them, just because we're all we're all on the radio, so all firemen must know other firemen. That's what I've heard. They're very cliquey. <laughs> well, you don't want just anybody sliding down your pole, Stuart. Stuart, welcome to the news quiz. Have a listen to this. is no longer at a loss to explain their tax policies. I don't know. It's going well. Well, that, hang on, though. There's no... You can't deduct points for Stuart not knowing that because this is a story about the Conservative Party. So why, why would he know it? Because it, it, it's something that appeared on the papers but that nobody read. Yeah, that's fair. He's got his website now where he hopes to uh, reach out to young people. And it just struck me that it's such a thin line between promoting Tory policy to young people and grooming. <laughs> I tuned into that web camera thing, the one he did when he was washing up, and you know. But was it at the end? He said, "But now I've got to wash up the pasta or something," which sounds to me like the nearest he'll ever get to a political slogan. But, um... uh, well, obviously, there's a lot of excitement about this. A leaked report from the Conservative Tax Reform Commission, chaired by Lord Forsyth of Drumley, and has called for 21 billion pounds of tax cuts, including the abolition of inheritance tax. Obviously, a shocking story. Tories proposed tax cuts. And uh, it was apparently accidentally put on a website a day earlier than it was intended. Can you imagine the injuries in internet cafes as people fought to, <laughs> uh, to read this first? Andy, who has less than complete faith in his education policy? Uh, is this Alan Johnson? It is. Ah, now Alan Johnson is proposing a change to education policy whereby faith schools would have to take up to 25% of their pupils who would be non-believers which conjures up the rather appealing prospect of parents being able to apply to schools with notes from the vicar saying that he definitely hasn't seen them in church. (laughs) (laughs) Which would be a rather nice twist. But what's needed now, given that there are all these nutcases of various religious persuasions running around, either wearing massive crucifixes or covering themselves from head to foot and then saying, why can't I be a lollipop lady? If, uh, (laughs) given that there are all this religious extremism going on, I think what we need is militant agnosticism. (laughs) I really do. I think it's time to get a bit hard. The only problem is that if we form an agnostic army, we're not going to have anything to shout. Because, you know, if you're religious, you can shout in the name of God or Allah Akbar, but you can't really shout, I believe, in rational debate and then throw a hand grenade at someone. <laughs> For an extra point, does anybody know what made a check-in worker very cross this week? Yeah, the, that was the British Airways mm. lady. As I understand it, the rules were no jewellery above the cravat. And she said that she wanted to wear her crucifix above the cravat. That's a very 
unnatural position for a cru- crucifix rests on the neck doesn't it it probably had little neon lights around the outside <laughs> and similarly as i understand it the teaching assistant who was suspended for wearing the veil in lessons with primary school children didn't wear the veil at her interview with the male staff who interviewed her so you've got loads of religious organizations who've worked out and they can get a lot of publicity by just triggering court cases. There was like a, like a competition amongst them to see who can be the most offended. Anne Whittacombe was on TV at the weekend comparing the woman on the aircraft not allowed to wear the crucifix. She said that was like the historical persecution of Christians. And I thought, it isn't, really. Yeah. They seem kind of <laughs> thrown to lions and stuff like that, not, not asked to hide their jewellery <laughs> yeah. under a cravat. Yeah. Yeah. There's an element of scale there, yeah, isn't there? Is, there? Yeah, there is, yeah. Apparently, Anne Whittacombe said she would no longer fly with British Airways, and uh, to which British Airways responded that was a cross they'd have to bear. (laughs) (laughs) But wouldn't quite a lot of people be relieved if Anne Whittacombe started wearing a veil? There was a whole series of stories, in fact, this week. Uh, Education Secretary Alan Johnson has tabled an amendment to the Education and Inspections Bill that requires new faith schools to take in a quarter of children from different religions. There was the row over Muslim veils uh, rumbling on due to the teaching assistant Aisha Hazmi uh, in Dewsbury. She insists on wearing a veil in school, and apparently she was defiant. Later in the day, she appeared with five relatives in veils in the window of her house. I have to say, later on, that turned out to be a neck curtain. Um, (laughs) And BA have banned the check-in worker Nadia Iwida from wearing a cross round her neck. BA bosses said that they would take good care of the cross until the end of her shift, and it is currently going round a carousel in Dusseldorf. (laughs) (laughs) At the end of round one, the scores are Mark and Joe have got five, but Andy and Stuart are in the lead with six. (laughs) We start round two with some advice on phone scams from the OFT website. You might receive an unsolicited text saying that someone fancies you and to find out who, to respond to a premium rate number. But it's just a way to get you to spend money and no one fancies you. (laughs) And thanks to Scott Halberg from Hinkley for spotting that. Mark, why will the human race be scaling the heights and plumbing the depths of evolution? Well, this is uh, uh, one of these people who's commissioned to come up with one of these sort of utterly pointless studies, and they reckon that if you see the way that the the world is sort of mating over the next 100,000 years or some such ridiculous sort of timescale, then we'll evolve into two separate species, one of which is tall mm. and skinny. Yeah, elegant. And elegant. And, and the other intelligent. Is, and intelligent. Yeah. And the other half of the human race will be the sort of dumpy ones that, that go around a bit like... Careful. <laughs> In other words, short, fat and thick. A so bit like Trini and Susanna. French, <laughs> which one is which then? Which is the intelligent one out of them? Too? No, I said without the intelligent. Oh, okay. There's a tall, thin one. And then there's like a short, fat, aristocratic one. I don't mind which one you kill first. <laughs> there are loads of those double acts now. You just can't tell them apart, like Ant and Deck. And how would that be explained genetically? I mean, I get that there's a tall, elegant one and then a short, dumpy one. The guy, the scientist, obviously came up with this theory after a night out with Paul Daniels and Debbie McGee. But uh... <laughs> I don't think that scientists, although I think it's a completely ridiculous study and theory, but I don't think he was saying that the whole world would develop into these two species and that they will all pair off into double acts. Oh, right. <laughs> I, I don't think he was claiming that. But you can't predict evolution, can you? I mean, that's, no, that's quite a few articles by scientists rubbishing uh, the research saying that. Because, I mean, you know, you couldn't have predicted the giraffe. 
Yeah, it's luck. It's just luck, whatever suits the local environment. Darwin was fantastically mad. He was supposed to be convalescing at one point because he'd driven himself mad with just obsessively working out all these theories. But while he was convalescing, he dug up the whole garden to count how many worms there were in the garden. And he counted something 50,000 or something, and then he put the, laid them all out on a billiard table, and he tried to see what would happen if he got his son to play a bassoon at them. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what he's best known for, though, is it? <laughs> it was at the time. And why the bassoon? That seems... It was probably just one handy, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't suppose he was going, get me a bassoon, I've got an ovo, go! <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, a reasonable scientist would have done a control experiment using a different instrument. Yeah, using a drum kit. Yeah. Uh, Dr Oliver Curry, a research associate at the London School of Economics, has predicted that within 100,000 years, humanity could evolve into two subspecies, a genetic upper class and a genetic underclass, and it will, uh, by the year 12,000, no more By when? 12,000? Sorry, yes, 12,000. So we don't really need to worry about that, do we? <laughs> The moment. On your to-do list? No. no. <laughs> I would think. Uh, two points to Mark. Joe, have a listen to this. This is where we go tabloid suddenly, Joe. Uh, which preachy pop icon is planning on keeping her baby? Oh, would it be... This is Westlife. Oh, right. <laughs> is it Westlife? No, it's Madonna uh, with this cheery little one-year-old called David from Malawi. You know, a lot of people are going a bit mental because she's a celebrity and I think she's just strolled in and taken who she wants. I mean, I personally don't have a problem with celebrities adopting, although obviously you'd draw the line at Gary Glitter, I suppose. But, um, <laughs> Um, who knows where it is now? There's the lots of lighter. celebs, aren't there, that have done it? There's loads. I'm trying to think. Um, Angelina Jolie, which she adopted from Ethiopia. Meg Ryan from China, I think. David Blunkett adopted a lot of policies from Nazi Germany. There was, um... <laughs> well, when she's doing all the little songs and that to your baby, will she do it with a little mic round and that? <laughs> and have a load of black gay dancers doing a big parade number while she does the wheels on the bus go round and round. <laughs> Well, all I would say, with everyone sneering at this, is just remember that there was another Madonna 2,000 years ago <laughs> who had a little baby that wasn't strictly hers. <laughs> it is, indeed, the gripping controversy surrounding Madonna and Guy Ritchie's attempt to adopt the Malawian baby David Bander, who was flown into the UK this week after the couple were granted temporary custody for 18 months, and there's been a lot of controversy about this. An overseas adoption specialist uh, has warned Madonna that raising a foreign-born child uh, is much more challenging than raising your biological children. Uh, but apparently she's uh, completely unfazed and says that the nanny has been fully briefed. So, <laughs> Stuart, why is the everyday of historical importance? Why is the everyday of historical importance? Particularly this week. Bloggers. Oh, oh yeah, no, I don't know. It was something to do with um, the internet. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe we're not, I mean, I'm, I don't have a computer. I'm sort of like Wimbledon's equivalent of the Amish. <laughs> so, and, but I gather there's this thing called blogging, and um, people were encouraged to record their day. Some poor soul is going to have to collate all these accounts of people's days, and it's going to be a day in the life of sort of planet Earth. 
And I should imagine it would be fantastically boring. Um, I, don't, I don't understand blogging. It seems to encourage the worst kinds of people to put up just descriptions of nothing and fill up cyber. You know, the Internet's an incredible tool. We could be using it to uh, disseminate very important information, but instead it's just pornography and descriptions of going to the shops. <laughs> well, I did. I read a few of them, and there, there was one written by a schoolboy, and it said, went to school, my eyes were killing me, and I thought, oh, this looks really interesting. <laughs> so I clicked on it, and that's all it said. And I'm really irritated. So if the eyes killing me schoolboy is listening... <laughs> Can you phone in and say why your eyes were killing you? It's really annoying me. No, overall, I mean, it was a breathtaking day of monotony. Well, I was looking out for one that said something like, woke up in bed with seven horses wearing a clown's outfit, you know. <laughs> there was nothing like that at all. It was boring as hell. Was Frank Boff's not on there, then? <laughs> That's from ages ago, I Frank know. <laughs> Yeah. I know, they, we wonder why Radio 4 doesn't get any younger listeners. <laughs> Everything is, well, apparently they have this thing called the computer web or something, the guys of today. Anyway, I don't know, have you heard of this hip-hop business? I, I do believe Eddie Cochran's one of them, all these people with their long hair and the leather jackets. Well, I don't know. Is Clement Attlee still around? Here's a question about Sir Anthony Eden. <laughs> image of Radio 4's hip-hop is replacement hip-hop. <laughs> Thousands of people took part in a mass blog recording what they did on the 17th of October. The event was organised by the National Trust and English Heritage as part of History Matters and was intended to create a snapshot of a day in the life of the UK for future historians. And according to the Times, this snapshot showed that we were sad, bored, and even suicidal. <laughs> and at the end of round two, Mark and Joe have got nine points, and Andy and Stuart are still in the lead with ten. Before we start round three, here is a report from an Essex Fire Brigade press release. Firefighters have tackled a fire that broke out in Tolls Hunt Darcy this morning, which it is suspected was being used as a cannabis factory. Firefighters worked with police officers at the scene and have conducted a joint investigation. <laughs> and our thanks to Chris Hale of Newport who sent that in. Joe, why should kids' TV be seen and not heard? Oh, because it's crap. Yeah. Two points to Joe. Um, <laughs> my daughter came in the other day and went, Oh, you're on telly, Mum. I thought, Oh, is she lovely. Bloody Teletubbies was on, right? <laughs> oh, uh, is it because children aren't supposed to watch television because it makes their brains explode? No, they subtitles. Yeah. Oh, right, and, and they're encouraging parents to put the subtitles on so they can learn to read whilst their brains are disintegrating. <laughs> Is that right? Yep, absolutely, that's correct. Yeah. You still get, people get very upset about the Teletubbies because they say, oh, it's teaching children sort of a language that isn't correct English. And you think that's just so typical of people getting it out of context because the kids who watch Teletubbies, like my daughter watched it when she was about a year old. So Poe going, oh, God, look at sun come up. That, to her, was an advance. It's now, <laughs> if you, Edward, came on the news <laughs> and said, ah, oh, here's news. <laughs> Head of army say, whoa, want to leave rack rack. <laughs> Mr. Blair cross cross. <laughs> that would obviously be different. What worries me, Mark, is that somewhere in BBC News there's somebody, well, when this goes out, they'll be thinking, do you know, that's not such a bad idea. <laughs> 
Um, well, the question regarded a gentleman called Jim Trelease, uh, who's America's foremost expert on reading aloud. And he says parents who are too busy to read to their children should let them watch television with the subtitles on. Uh, Jim Trelease is one of the few experts on reading aloud in America, where people tend to specialize in either reading or being loud. <laughs> Actually, I've got a question for us for another point. Um, does anybody know what Harriet's favorite book is? And I'll give you a clue. It is being published next week. Our own Harriet Cass, favorite mm. book? Actually, uniquely, we could give Harriet a point. Um, it has never happened, I think, before. What is the book that's coming out, Harriet? The Oxford BBC Guide to Pronunciation. It is. The secret guide that's been helping BBC newsreaders for generations to pronounce difficult words is to be made public for the very first time. So, as Harriet's here... <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, picked out a couple for you. They're all, actually, the, the names of people who are apparently in the news. The first is a gentleman who's the former director of National Bureau of Statistics in China. If I had been given this just yes. to read off the top of my head, never having seen it before, I would either have guessed Chi Xia Hua, Olushungun Obasanjo, I know him, I think. Oh, and, that's the former Nigerian president you went on and to And Javad Al-Maliki, I think that's the, the, the proper pronunciation. I see if that okay. makes a difference. Chi Xia Hua. You quite well, right. well, nearly. Olusengu Abbasanjo, well, obviously. that's fine, obviously, <laughs> absolutely. And Jawad Al-Maliki, thank you very much. See, that's fine. <laughs> do, do you all your newsreaders have some sort of secret club and you go, what's the password? No, you didn't say it right, you can't come in. <laughs> no, we don't have a secret club, but there, I think there is a newsreader's vendetta because sometimes there are people in the news who have the most awful names, and they're really horrible to say, and then they die in mysterious circumstances. <laughs> For example, uh, there was, I think he was the Egyptian foreign minister, called Mr. Fahmi. Um, and he met a sticky end, and there was also... <laughs> Two points uh, to Joe, but one point to Harriet, which is rather pleasing. Uh, Stuart, who's streets behind when it comes to class? Who's streets behind? No, I'm behind night and Okay, it's a story. It's a story about the Joneses, sort of knowing their courts from their commons. It's about keeping up uh, with place names. It's about. I'm going to give you the answer in just okay. one tiny second. <laughs> I, I've read. Well, I've read papers this week. Just I wasn't interested in any of those things. <laughs> did, did you read any of the ones that folded out really big? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's you can get small versions of those. Yeah. How? The name of the road that you live in can uh, demonstrate how posh you are. Or Absolutely. How, um, Joe's poverty-stricken. Yes, Joe, that is correct. So, for example, I think street, you're poor and not posh, as in Downing Street. Um, whereas Muse Lane and um, some other posh one, I can't Crescent, oh no, Crescent, I think Crescent's well, not posh. Yes. Avenue, Avenue, that's a little yeah. bit Crescent's middle, middle class, and yes. uh, Muse means you're a cat. Well, I grew up in a road, but living over a muse. So what does that make me? Lucky oh. to be working. <laughs> um, researchers at UCL think they can work out your social class or whether or not you're wealthy by looking at the name of the road your house is in. Although, presumably these days, if you've been able to buy a house at all, you must be loaded. Um, Andy, who doesn't know his arts from his elbow? <laughs> this made me laugh. Because it involved a millionaire who'd spent, I think it was a couple of million, on a painting, a Picasso. £74 million. Pounds. <laughs> See? That's a funny number, isn't it? <laughs> and he was showing it to somebody, and he was gesticulating. And I have to say, in 
quite a clumsy way, he managed to put his elbow through it. Um, and the explanation for this was that he had poor peripheral vision. I don't know why someone with poor peripheral vision would want to buy a Picasso. It seems to me that would drive you nuts. But, um, Perhaps he thinks the portraits look like real people. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the really sad thing was he just sold the painting. Mm. So he had to cancel that sale for presumably at least £74 million. Pounds and he, and uh, he's having to repair it. I don't quite know. I mean, an elbow through a p- painting, that's quite a big hole, isn't it? But it is a Picasso, so they can pretend it's a triangular ear or something. <laughs> the story concerns Steve Wynn, a casino mogul from Las Vegas, who had to pull out of a deal to sell his Picasso painting Le Rêve for $139 million, £74 million, pounds, after he accidentally elbowed a hole in the canvas. And his reporters have said, oh shit, look what I've done, echoing the words used by Paul McCartney after he married Heather. <laughs> Uh, before we reveal the final scores, let's hear the cuttings the teams have brought along. Mark. Helen, I think it's Helen Acton from Framlingham in East Anglia has sent this in, and it's from the East Anglian Daily Times. This was an article in the East Anglian Daily Times, and the headline is Door Damaged. <laughs> <laughs> and the article is, A wooden door frame at a house in London Road, Halesworth, was damaged <laughs> sometime between 11.50pm on Friday and 8am on Saturday. <laughs> That's it. Joe. Uh, This is a Lonely Hearts column from The Times, and it's sent in by the Reverend Geoffrey Kemble Johnson. Single Catholic, 43, immaculate past, (laughs) from the countryside, is seeking a good Catholic pure girl who can cook well and who can do all housework who is also capable of sewing and a good homemaker in order to marry at the soonest opportunity. Personal fortune would be desirable, but not, however, a precondition. Stuart. Uh, This is from uh, the Sidmouth Herald, and the headline is Dangerous Motorist Escapes Jail. It says, A madcap motorist from Seaton led police on a high-speed car chase across East Devon and tried to drive along the Exmouth to Exeter railway line to escape officers. In passing sentence, Judge Richard Flowerdew, who is real but is a hobbit, um, (laughs) he said to the man, You have come within an ace of going to prison, but that would serve no useful purpose other than to punish you. (laughs) Andy. I don't know who sent this in, Sandy, but I'm very grateful to them, whoever they are. It's from In Touch, which is the parish magazine of St. John's, Lindo, and I just love it for its Englishness. And it says, Finally, some instructions for our ladies making the tea. Please empty teapots and then stand upside down in the sink. Well, let's uh, take a look at the final scores. Andy and Stuart have got 14, but I have to say, sterling work by Joe this week. Uh, Mark and Joe are this week's winners with 15. And before we leave you, here is a cutting from Monday's Daily Telegraph. An otter has been found in central London for the first time in more than 100 years, indicating that the Thames is at its cleanest for centuries, according to the Environment Agency. The young male otter was found dead on the riverbank in... (laughs) And with that, goodbye. 
Taking part in the news quiz were Mark Steele, Joe Brand, Stuart Lee and Andy Hamilton. In the chair was Sandy Toxvig and the news was read by me, Harriet Cass. The chair's script was written by Simon Littlefield, Roderick Crooks and Lucy Clark. And the producer was Ed Morrish. Thank you.